1: This game has had everything except a run for the Cubs. Cleveland wins it. One to nothing. As Baez strikes out at a pitch that was up. And the Cleveland Indians have just thrown their fifth shutout. In 11 postseason games this year. And the Cubs have been shut out for the fourth
2: time this postseason. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sunday mornings on The Score.
0: Welcome in on 670 to score. It is me, Matt Spiegel. And yeah, that game. That game not so fun. Um, In terms of the outcome, if you're a Cub fan. But the game itself... One of the more memorable experiences of my baseball life, and uh, that is absolutely true. My, my brother was there with me. That is the first Cubs home game of the 2016 World Series. My brother was there with me. My now wife was there with me. And this next guest, who joins us on the Alpamante Ford Hotline, Alpamante Ford in Melrose Park, was with me. Herb Spiegel, welcome to Hit and Run, welcome to the score. You've been here before, you know how this works. You radio veteran, you?
2: Yeah, I'm a radio veteran.
0: <laughs> you are. You are. I mean, my god, people have been like, "Oh, I love when your dad is on." So this is now it's it's an it's an annual tradition and uh and, and here we are. Um
2: It's my it's my thrill for the year, really. I just look forward <laughs> to it and just the uh, the be on with you and I know that's uh uh, for both of us, is a dream.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, tell me, happy Father's Day to you! And this is uh, th- this once again uh, serves as my incredibly um, cheap and efficient way of wishing you a happy Father's Day and giving you the gift of some uh, Chicago Sports Radio notoriety. Hope that's you know worth something. I couldn't.
2: I couldn't ask for a nicer gift. <laughs> my, my my wife my wife just delivered some blintzes to me Ooh. with blueberries and strawberries, and I'll send you a picture. Please. And here am I on the uh, lovely New Jersey shore, practically, or the Delaware River, talking yep. to my son about sports. I love it.
0: Yeah, couldn't couldn't could, couldn't be couldn't be better, right? The um, right. Can't, get, can't get better. So Christine showed me yesterday. I never knew it was here, but over by, uh, on I think it's on on Jackson. Um, oh no, it's on West Madison, over near the train station. There is a giant statue of a baseball bat, huge metal statue of a bat and it uh, was and, and you know who, you know who did it and you know made it klaus oldenberg sure John, johnson nope klaus Oldenburg. it's Oldenburg oh, from Klaus Olden. oh of course of yeah course. so so you hipped me to that because you're an art guy and and you and mom mm-hmm. steeped me in in art and stuff like that i didn't realize that he was uh he was a chicagoan that his his parents no, i didn't either his parents moved here in the thirties and he was asked to make something that symbolized America and he decided that the baseball bat was a symbol of oh, at that's least a
2: great story.
0: Isn't it? At the time that was a symbol of of America's uh, hope and idealism and possibilities was the baseball yeah, bat. Yeah, he
2: has a he has a plug at the Philadelphia Art Museum. Uh and he also has a um, a a clothespin right in downtown Philadelphia. I thought he was from Philadelphia, but Yeah. Another major league city. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. But apparently he moved around a little bit. Um, Tell me about your dad in baseball, would you? Because I know what you've done for me and and the other four Spiegel children and your grandkids. Uh, Sister Suzanne texted me that her son Sam is a huge Red Sox fan, just basically through osmosis because of the way she would talk about it and and passed it down.
2: My, my, uh, I'm often asked how I ended up being a Red Sox fan. I uh, probably have told the story too many times, but basically my dad, uh, we only went to doubleheaders in, 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 Philadelphia. In those days, there was always a, there was usually a double header on, on this, uh, on Sunday. And, um, we we went down by train and he's he wanted to show me this skinny kid uh hit a baseball that turned out to be 1946 and it or 1941 and it was Ted Williams and of course that was the the year the last 400 hitter was uh I saw him and and immediately was enthralled with the Red Sox and uh that's how, that's how it uh, dad. Had, uh my dad my mm-hmm. father uh showed me and he he was a Yankee fan but he he rooted for the Red Sox only because you know he, he loved me and uh, loved the family and uh, he he always you know he always encouraged us but we love baseball mm.
0: so um and and he was a Yankee fan though right
2: well he was a Yankee fan but not rabbit but he was a, he was a Yankee fan um, but uh, I have great memories of Places he, he took me, I, I have the envision of this day of watching Carl Hubble pitch, and I remember him, the, the this before the designated hitter, obviously, and him sliding across home plate, uh, uh, you know, with that the valuable arm he had. Uh, it, it was it was great, and uh, baseballs has been a wonderful outlet for me and for the whole family.
0: Hmm. Um yeah, Carl Hubble. It's it's it's, yeah. it, it's got to be. You just sent me that the other day. Why were you thinking about Carl Hubble striking out five straight Hall of Famers uh, in the we, in the in the All-Star game?
2: Because we had a neighbor across the street who came over to to show me the article about the guy who whose uh collection of baseball cards was worth a millions of dollars and he had it in his, in his basement. We were talking about baseball cards and I was telling him that during the war uh-huh. uh there used to have war bonds, and you could auction you bought a war bond to get into the to the movie theater and they would auction things off and One thing my father bought was a baseball that was signed by all of the players that Carl Hubble struck out on that uh, wonderful all star game and uh we We lived in in downtown Trenton and didn't have any grass lawns. We had a cement uh, cement. We we play ball on cement, and we we lost our baseball. And my brother went in, and he got this baseball <laughs> had these autographs on it. Who knows what it'd be worth today? And we played with it again, sort of, and ruined it. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, you did. That's 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 Ruben's college education. You were playing with there, pops my yes, my god right now it
2: would be that's for sure yeah
0: right 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 now at at this point at this point it 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 would be um
2: so that that's where we came that's where i, I we i came up reminiscing about carl hubble mm-hmm. and what uh, do
0: what do you, what but, do you think uh, you know it, when you think about the importance of baseball in your social life you know, not just not just your kids and stuff like that here on Father's Day, but think about how many random conversations have been started or enriched by baseball. Um, it's selling furniture as you did for decades, teaching as you did—it just kind of kind of gets mixed in and weaved into to your whole social existence, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, and and I I swear I'm not going to listen to baseball, but it, I have trouble going to bed at night. Without checking the scores to this to this very day, and do I miss it? Yeah, um, I, I will say I can't watch the replays. Uh, I know that all the TV stations and uh, maybe the radio stations too uh, replay the the great baseball. I can't watch those. I, I I like I like the you know the old cliche. It's not over till the last person is out or till the. the if Lady sings but it, it uh i i'd like the the fact that in the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs and two strikes on a batter the game is still going on and that's uh that's very exciting to me
0: yeah uh, would you care to tell people uh, about our phone conversation in 1986 when there were two outs and two strikes <laughs> and i called you from a from uh, a, a yeah. person's house
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> You know, it's it's so funny because um, I'm talking to you in Chicago, and really Red Sox fans and and, uh, Cub fans have a a great bind, a great bond. But uh, the the story was that, uh, you know, what I have gone through my entire life with the the Red Sox uh, and a lot of Chicago people have gone through with the Cubs Mm -hmm. is that uh, scars, people always say, I got scars on my arms from uh, uh, Bucky Dent and from uh, uh, Johnny Pesky not throwing the ball in, and from Bob Gibson and um, and and the Cardinals and the big red. Uh, 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 it, well, so Matt is going to a party, and the Red Sox are beating are beating the um, uh, Mets. And it looks like they're about to clinch the World Series. And he calls me up from the party and says, Dad, do me a favor. Would you just record the the uh, uh, presentation and the big celebration after the game?
0: Yeah.
3: And
2: I looked at him. I spoke to him and said, Matt, what makes you think that there's going to be a celebration? I've been a Red Sox fan a long time. And it, and maybe 10 minutes later, Mookie Wilson hits the ball of Bill Buckner and yeah. it goes right through his legs and extends the World Series, which they eventually lost. And he came back from his party and said, Dad, how did you know that? <laughs> and I said, those were your words. Uh-huh. How, did I, how did you know that? And I said, I've been a Red Sox fan a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's
0: that's a learned pessimism or fatalism, if you will that that you had, but that should be gone by now see that's the thing well, that should be gone by now because they've won they won like three different times
2: pops they just keep winning yeah, i', I you're, you're right i feel, I feel like i'm being a little piggish when it when it comes to that, but yes. I love what you said at at the onset of your show that uh, uh there we were with uh christine and and brother bob and and you and I watching my first World Series in person was the Cubs and it was uh, it was such a delight and then repeating that a couple of years later when you flew in from Chicago and I met Bob in New York we drove up to Fenway Park and yep. I uh, and we stayed at a motel where you could see the lights from Fenway right
0: mm-hmm right, right, I mean, right just, around the corner it
2: just, uh, so it has been a great bonding and binding um, part of our lives, and uh, yeah, we had some pain, but we've had some joy, and generally speaking, here you are its a, uh, uh, on Father's Day, and we're talking about father and son are talking baseball, and we're sort of, I'm in my senior years, and you're in your, I guess, almost early middle age, and yeah. uh, we can still bond over baseball. Yes,
0: we can, and uh, the the one guy that I want to add to this conversation is 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 that brother Bob, your son Bob, who now joins us also on the Alpamante Ford hotline, Alpamante Ford in Melrose Park. Um, Brother Bob on the show, uh, pops Spiegel on the show. You guys know each other, right? You guys you guys go go pretty far back, uh, I I think safely. Um, Bob, yeah, I I, think so. I think so, Bobby. I I have a question. Dad didn't play catch a lot with me. Did he play catch a lot with you? Like, the the baseball relationship that I have with him is largely, like, intellectual and appreciating and stuff like that. Did you guys play a lot together? Well,
2: happy Father's Day to both of you, especially you, Dad.
3: Thank Um, you. Love it. Love it.
2: This is a great thrill for me. God.
3: I think Dad was more of a a slam dunk uh, kind of, like, um, you remember when he used to yell at us and then he would just Walk into his bedroom like he likes to make a, a scene, you know, like a, like the last scene of the movie. He just yeah. So we, so we would be shooting baskets outside, and he would come home from work, and he would say, "Let me have a shot." And uh, he'd come over and he'd swish one from about fifteen eighteen feet, and then he'd leave. You know, like you know, like patting himself on the back like it was uh like a heroic moment. So, I think he did the same thing with uh, with playing catch. And as I think, as he describes it, um, once I started throwing it too hard, he backed out because he had one of those baseball gloves from the 1940s that was um, almost like
0: a a winter glove. So. <laughs> so, so, so you were good. See, Bobby, you were the archetypal baseball player of my youth. I was. I was got. I must have been seven and eight years old, and I was the bat boy for your high school team. You guys were pretty good too, and you were center fielder. Did you hit leadoff too or nine? I forget where you hit. I I was a two
3: skill player, so I had uh, I was an incredible fielder. I Had a really good arm. Um, That's it. That's I struck out a lot. I was uh, really good at I was really good at missing the ball but making it look really good and you know that's funny yeah, I don't I d- know why I don't I think dad didn't spend a lot of time with us teaching us how to hit and catch so you're right um that's why you probably ended up on the radio as opposed to on the field
0: yeah that 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 mixed with uh, my my love of you know, food I, along I'd the
2: way I'd like to say something about that basketball shot yes yeah. please well they put up we we live in a, on a, a in the street where they just, they put up a basketball, a basketball net and backboard. And uh, I went out there and tried the very, very same thing. Give me that ball. Well, anyway, I do it every summer. I go out and I take a shot and I don't even hit the backboard.
3: anymore. (laughs) 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 So things have
2: changed.
3: (laughs) Matt, I I just want to correct one thing. I I was listening uh, for a few minutes. When dad said he went to the World Series, the Chicago, the, 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 the World Series in Chicago, we went to that first game. Yeah. And he watched the game. I don't think he was watching the game. He was um, at whatever, 85 years old, Instagramming, uh, posting <laughs> pictures, and trying to find Wi Fi. I think he was mostly sad that the Wi Fi signal wasn't strong enough at uh, <laughs> Wrigley. That, that is true.
0: How many times did we tell him that he had to get his head out of his phone? You're at the World
2: Series! <laughs> I'm, go- I'm, Absolutely glad wife- true. I'm glad my wife walked away.
3: And I remember one time he mumbled when he couldn't get the wifi he mumbled, Well, they're gonna believe that I was here.
0: <laughs> what are talking about? It was it Fenway was even worse. Two years later in the twenty eighteen World Series, he did he, he was it was down there on the phone like Dad appreciate the moment. But 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 Bob the one of the great feelings of of my life was that first Cubs game of walking him in. When you think about how many times he walked us into ballparks and helped us fight through the crowd for us to be able to do that for him help the old man walk through the concourse and get to the seats and you remember the the wide-eyed wonder with which he looked around for a while there it was pretty magical stuff
3: have have um has dad told you the story of um as he told the story on the air of carlton fisk's home run and me when i was a little um how old was i i was 14
0: no you need to tell it you need to tell it right now
3: yeah, well, God. you know, we. God. So we were watching the World Series. I mean, what a. Probably the greatest game of all time. You know, they reference it in Goodwill Hunting. And uh, uh, Bernie Carbo pinch hit and hit the three run homer to tie it up at 6 6. Uh, and it goes into extra innings. And I don't know. It must have been on a Thursday night or some, you know, uh, some weeknight. And I had to go to. You know, my dad's like, You gotta go to sleep. You gotta go to sleep. I go, Okay, I'm gonna go to sleep. He goes, I'll put it on the radio for you next to your bed. Um, and I fell asleep in bed, you know, before Fifth hit the eleventh inning home run where he waves uh to keep the ball fair. Um and I woke up, I was so angry at dad. Like, how could he deprive me of literally the greatest home run of all time. (laughs) And for years, every time it would come on television, I would watch it. Uh, uh, and we went to the, I guess a year later, we went to the air and space museum in Washington, DC, and they were showing the, how satellites have helped, uh, um, you know, make TV, uh, baseball games, uh, work. And, uh, I went to the museum, and for an hour, they showed the highlight of Fisk's home run over and over. And for an hour, I stood there until my dad was in pain and, said, and begged me to, uh, to leave the museum and to leave that section. I just wanted to torture him with <laughs> having to watch that home run uh, over and over again.
0: Oh, God. Payback well, is a bitch. By the way—
3: by the way, your father left this conversation, I thought <laughs> I would <was> just... <laughs> the, 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 uh the. I remember years later, Kirby Puckett hitting a game-winning home run, and my dad would call me and say, are you awake? Are you awake? Yeah, any no, any no. any extra inning late home run? He wants to make sure that I'm awake for.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Know, I love it. I, I don't know why I just flashed to coming home one night from high school, and uh, and, and dad was still awake, and he said, "I'll tell you what, that Canesco hit another home run." He meant Canseco, <laughs> but I I, appreciate it. I appreciated appreciated <laughs> what he meant because he did well, hit he, he yet another one.
2: Your your sister calls me every once in a while when during the World Series says that her son sam is up i want to put him to bed should i put him to bed i said you're asking the wrong person <laughs> <laughs> right because you and, don't want
0: her to pay for that for the rest of her life that's right, right.
2: Yeah. Uh, and it's funny i went into one of these souvenir stores in um, hamilton new jersey and they had a statue there of carlton fisk and i said i want to buy that they said well that's not for sale i said I'll, i want to buy that you still have that bob i of course Dad. i
3: i have a car it's on your desk shrine a shrine with me giving you the finger uh as part of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh and and deservedly so i i gotta say um yeah all well, right well i i love you guys and i wanted to say hello to the both of you and dad i wanted you well, to hear from from both of your baseball sons hey, a, a bob what did you tell the very quickly tell the story. What did you paint on your wall? Because I've talked about it from my perspective, but what was the idea that you painted on your wall? because I was a little kid watching you play baseball and then watching your wall as, as as a kid, and that really turned me into what I am in terms of baseball today.
3: i Well, I think I had a lot of emotional issues as a kid, and my parents got me a uh, a journal, and uh, I was supposed to write down my feelings and my thoughts in my journal. And and all I would do was listen to Red Sox games on the Staticky Radio from Hartford, uh, Connecticut. And um in my journal, if you go look at it today, it would say, uh, Butch Hobson had two home runs <laughs> and it was all about all about Red Sox games. Uh, nothing about my feelings, but that's all I would think about. So as I listened to these games I thought, uh I'm gonna paint a big uh uh, Fenway Park on the wall and I made little slots for baseball cards and the idea was uh, to uh, uh move them around and create some sort of uh visual much like they do on ESPN um with that what is that game cast or something
0: right so. you basically were creating your own your own stat cast your own game cast game day right yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and, yeah. and 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 you had the slots for the defensive players and you had slots on the base paths right Oh, yeah, I moved I moved everybody around, uh, um, you know, until
3: the 10th inning when Dad would yell down, he got to go to sleep, or
2: something like that. <laughs> so Now, I, now tell I, me tell yeah. me something. Is there any better way to celebrate Father's Day and, than this, what we're doing right now? No. If not. there is, I don't know it. If no, there is, no. I don't know it.
3: I love you it's, both. It's, I, I, it's I, lo- I love such you a both.
2: a been such a treat, I can't even tell you. You can say, oh, no. Okay. Hey, thank thank
0: thank you for uh for, for giving us a lifetime of uh of baseball, of history, of appreciation of the moment, of of making sure that we do things together and talk to each other from all your kids and your grandkids and, and everybody, okay? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey no, Mac, I just wanted to say I found a baseball almost baseball replacement um out
3: there and it's um I've become addicted to ninety day fiance. Have you seen it?
0: <laughs> no, no, I have not. It's
3: got all the elements of, uh, um, suspense, uh, um, usefulness, you know, relationship issues.
0: Uh, um, it's just got its strategy. It's got the whole thing. So, oh, okay. 90 day fiance. All right. So yeah. that's better than premier league soccer or marble racing or some of the other options that exist for I, us out there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's really tense. It's like uh, March madness as my wife said. <laughs> All right. I'll okay. check it out.
2: Take, take us out to the ballgame. Uh, we'll see you. Thank you. Thank,
0: thank you, Spiegel. Oh, man, that was fun. That's my pops, um, 87-year-old Herb Spiegel, and my big brother, Bobby Spiegel. Ozzie Guillen Jr. is going to join us later on in the hour. When we come back, though, there's an update from Bob Nightingale um, that involves the players voting sooner rather than later on the owner's most recent proposal. We'll give you all the details on that stuff when we come back. It's hit and run on 670 The Score.
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella,
3: the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Well, I think it'd be catastrophic. I mean, remember even last time, it took four years, you know, saved by the uh, McGuire Sosa home run race to get attendance back to that same level. Uh, You know, that was just during normal time. So now you're talking about, you know, having a, uh, a financial dispute in the middle of a uh, pandemic, civil unrest, you know, deaths from uh, the virus. Uh, you know, we have the stomach for uh, this would be much worse than the cancellation of the uh, 94 World Series. I think it would take, you know, a minimum of, of 10 years for the tennis to ever get back to the same level.
0: That's the thing. That's the thing from Bob Nightingale there. You know, how long it might take for baseball to recover and build its way back from something like this. Because the damage will be massive. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run on 670, the score. There was serious, tangible damage from the 1994 lockout and strike. Serious strike damage, and we can go over it. I want to. I've got those numbers. We can talk about it. Because I feel like sometimes people forget what the actual damage was. But it is right there for you. And the thing is, owners are being very short-sighted. Yes, and players are being short-sighted. But the players have shown a willingness to play ball and get going. But the owners, I think, are being very short-sighted about the damage that this could potentially cause. Here's the latest. Here's what's going on. You know that the owners made their latest proposal, and the latest proposal was for 60 games. And the MLB Players Association decided to delay taking a vote on the 60-game proposal for several days because they wanted to gather information because so many spring training camps— all of them have been shut down now because of the rash of positive tests for COVID-19. So now the pandemic is rearing its ugly head again and complicating matters. The latest from Bob Nightingale is this. The players now have decided to take a vote Sunday, today, instead of waiting on COVID-19 test results on whether to accept or decline MLB's offer to play 60 games at full pro-rated salary. It's going to be declined. This offer is going to be declined. And we are back at square effing One. One. Weeks ago, there could and should have been a deal. It could have been for 65 games, 70 games. It could have been for 81 games. But the owners didn't want to pay that much. Didn't want to pay the full prorated salary for that many games. So instead, they made those three offers. They made three offers at an incredibly slow pace that had very little difference from each other. And you saw, maybe heard the Andrew McCutcheon video. Uh, oh, you want a juice? I've got water. I've got water. No, we, we agreed on juice. Okay, i got water in a cup. I've got water this way. I've got water that way. Who's thirsty? Yeah. We all are, Andrew. The fans are. We're incredibly thirsty. So frustrated. But either way, sit down. Have your face-to-face. Finally, they had one last week. Made progress. Hey, imagine that. Instead of playing the World Series of Press Releases as they've been playing, they actually got face-to-face, talked about it, made some headway. Then the press releases came out, and then the leaks came out as owners and players alike ran to their desired leak receptacle and deposited said leaks onto the media, and it created problems. Stop talking to your leak receptacles. Stop. Stop letting other owners talk. Stop letting uh, other players talk. Tony, control this thing. Man, see, I'm versed on the players involved. And those are the guys, sadly, that I should be focusing on, right? These are the players. You know who the players are these days? The players are Dan Halem, the deputy commissioner of Baseball Administration. He's the chief negotiator for the players. Uh, for the player, uh, for, excuse me, for the for the owners. Bruce Meyer is the chief negotiator for the players. These are the players. I have stats on these guys. Bruce Meyer's fifty-seven, silver and black beard. Hey, is a guitar player too. Former lawyer for uh, a, a firm in New York. Then he left. Left that firm and went to work for the NHL Players Association and Donald Fear, just three years ago. In August of last year, he was hired away by Tony Clark to engage in what is going on now. The CBA next year and, of course, right now. These are the players involved. Rob Manfred, Tony Clark, Bruce Meyer, Dan Halem. These are the guys that I have stats on. Randy Levine is the president of the New York Yankees. He was the uh, lawyer for the players, one of the lawyers for the players for MLB in 1996. Chief labor negotiator for MLB for a while, negotiated the labor agreement in 1996. He's full of thoughts. He's got lots of advice for Rob Manfred that he aired publicly. I believe with Bob Nightingale, went to his favorite leak receptacle and talked to Bob Nightingale and put it out there and said he was dismayed that Scott Boris was mixed in. So Scott Boris, too. These are the players that I know about. What a terrible stat board, what a terrible leaderboard it is to look at these players. What, what, what bio information I never wanted to acquire that I've now acquired and I'm sharing with you on a baseball show. I'm frustrated. And yes, the players then said, tell us when and where. And the owners came back with his proposal for 60 games at full prorated pay. And now the players are saying no. They offered their 70 game proposal. And so could they split in the middle? No, I guess it's not that simple. Here's what the players um, had said they were going to do, which complicates the tell us when and where and, uh, And and now the saying no to tell us when and where they were going to file a grievance with the National Labor Relations Board. Once the owners said, "Okay, we're going to play a 48 game season or 50 game season or whatever that full prorated, the players said, "Okay, we're going to file a grievance. Now, this new deal that the owners put out there, the 60 games, comes with the caveat that the players cannot file a grievance. And the players had agreed to that in conversation with Tony Clark, but not specifically in the deal. So now the owners want them to agree to not file the grievance. You know why the owners want them to agree to that? Because the grievance would be won by the players. It was before. Bigger bodies than MLB and MLBPA usually rule for the union, for the players' union. It's what happened in 95. It's what happened that's why baseball resumed. Owners instituted a salary cap in December of 94. It never took effect because it was ruled to be unlawful. So that's why the owners don't want them to file a grievance because they think they're going to lose. And so the players say, "Okay, well, you know, all this stuff is so it's complicated, it's tedious, it's frustrating, and it's not baseball. And it's depressing." So where are we? We're nowhere. Unfortunately, we are nowhere. And we're worse than nowhere. Here's why we're worse than nowhere, okay? Because we've gone through all of this. MLB has shown its terrible, ugly face in terms of negotiations. It has bred even more mistrust that will be a problem next year in the massive labor dispute about the next CBA. They have annoyed their fans. They have missed the opportunity for goodwill. All of that has taken place and there might not be a season anyway because of a pandemic. So all of this, not only is it ugly, but it is not very possibly it is not going to be rewarded with baseball because that's the carrot. That's the carrot for all of us to deal with it. That is the, the selling point that is supposed to make us forget this ugliness because the game is so beautiful, and it is. Luckily, through the years, the game has been beautiful and powerful enough that it has made you forget this stuff. What if there's no games? What if the lasting memories of 2020 are the negotiating ugliness that nobody wanted to hear about during a pandemic? That's all we're going to have for this moment? That's entirely possible now. Because we as a nation have not been doing a very good job of controlling the virus. Other countries have been doing a far better job. They're getting their sports back. We in Illinois, we in Chicago have done a a good job. The numbers are good. But as a country and in some of those high risk states where the numbers are high, they have not done a good job. And now we're in trouble. So now we might not get anything. So I fully expect the players to vote this down today. And... And then I expect there to be very little progress for a while while they wait on the medicals. And I'm nervous and frightened about the entire thing. Good vibes, babe. <sighs> not, not super good vibes when the truth is, is involved, unfortunately, at this moment. All right, we're going to have some conversations the rest of the way that I'm very much looking forward to. And you're going to hear from some voices about Father's Day later on that I'm very much looking forward to baseball guys that have been on this show Carlos Pena later on Joe Buck later on Lawrence Holmes at the top of the hour he spoke with his father on his podcast this week about his grandfather and the Negro Leagues we'll talk about that a little bit among other things at the top of the hour but next Ozzie Guillen Jr. on Life with Dad and MLB that's coming up next with me Matt Spiegel right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score
2: Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel Sunday mornings on The Score
0: Welcome back in on 670 The score, it is indeed hit and run, looking forward to talking to my friend and colleague Lawrence Holmes at the top of the hour. Happy Father's Day to you and yours, a text at 312-644-6767, so, so far you have made me sad, happy and now angry at America, thanks Speaks, you're welcome, welcome to my world. This is, uh, there's a big mix of emotions that are going on for all of us today. Text, another texture says, You will lose brain cells watching 90 Day Fiance. My daughter and I watched one summer and our IQ degre- decreased. <sighs> okay, well, I don't usually lose brain cells watching baseball, but I might have to watch one um, at my brother's behest. He says that, uh, that it has everything that, that baseball does it's got the youth, it's got the enthusiasm, people making mistakes, getting better, learning. I don't know if there's any athletics, but there's tension, there's drama. So 90-day fiancé, all right. I'll think about that. Um, We're going to talk to Ozzie Jr. at some point here on today's show as well. But I mentioned that some of our guests have talked about their dads a lot, been fortunate to uh, develop a a friendship with uh, Joe Buck a little bit, and he's been on quite a bit on this show and has talked about, of course, his father, the great Jack Buck. i got to say that was my favorite moment of Long Gone Summer, I think, was being reminded – of how special it felt for Jack Buck there in that moment when Maguire hit 62. Because I am disconnected from the joy and the naivete of that home run race. I can't relive it in any way because, you know, the cat's out of the bag. It, it's imbued with history and cheating and context for me. So I thought the documentary was a failure. But the one moment that, make me, that did make me realize, oh, yeah, it was awesome. It, it, it was special. Was the one where where Chip Carey talked about looking down the press box as he was doing the Cubs game. And Jack Buck was standing there applauding with tears coming down his eyes as home run number 62 had come out. Joe Buck was there, too. It's pretty cool. So how do you go into a life of broadcasting and deal with the rest of your life in broadcasting? if you are Joe Buck and you're thinking about your pops and how you're going to be compared to him in a, as a broadcaster for the entirety of the rest of your whole life in St. Louis and beyond?
1: For the rest of my life, at least around St. Louis, and for people of a certain age, I will always be compared to and never match up to the legend of my dad, which grows with each passing day. So I, I think that, yeah. that's kind of my side of it. As far as were we close, did I have his love? yeah, we were very close, and I knew that uh, and I knew that I had his love and we were not afraid to say it to each other. Um, I remember one time he was sitting in the media lunchroom at Bush Stadium. I, I don't know who the, who the visiting team was. We'll say the Cubs uh, for purpose of this conversation in Chicago. <laughs> and he was he was sitting at a, at a table and whenever he walked into the media lunchroom, everybody kind of congregated around him and he was telling stories and whatever. And I walked in later, and he and I were radio partners with Mike Shannon. And I walked in, and I was always affectionate with my dad. And I leaned in, and I gave him a kiss on the forehead. And he said, take it easy, Buck. Not everybody knows we're father and son. (laughs) 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 Which is probably more appropriate for uh, 2001 or 2000, whenever this transpired. But that was just his quick wit and sense of humor and why people congregated to him. So while I had his love and while I had his attention and he took me everywhere by the time I was 12 around the national league, uh, I also shared him with everybody. So it was, it was kind of a give and take. I knew that I had a piece of him, but man, everybody had a small piece of him uh, in this small town of St. Louis. And uh, yeah, I was always fighting against that. And I'll always be compared even, even if it's not real in my mind uh, to the legend of my dad. So that's, that's kind of how we're coming at this thing. But I, I've, now you've made me salivate over uh, the Springsteen book, if it's that well written. Could not recommend
0: the Springsteen book, by the way, anymore. Um, and there's incredible stuff about his father and about being a father in the Bruce Springsteen autobiography, Born to Run. That was some of the context that Joe Buck and I were discussing there. Um, let's hear from uh, one of my favorite guests of the year. So far, and that is the former Cub, former Devil Ray, former uh, Red Sox, former Texas Ranger, Oakland A, Carlos Pena, now from MLB Network and works a bit over at Marquee as well. One of just one of my favorite guys to have a conversation with. And this I thought appropriate to bring back on this Father's Day, because Carlos Pena talking about parenting. I, I, I think I enjoyed that more than I did any of the conversation about baseball. Here's Carlos Pena.
4: Yes, I, I I do make an attempt to to pretty much teach, you know that that sort of resiliency, right? That that despite uh, the sting of the blade, you know uh, I I tell the story um, uh, to my kids that in the Orient, you know young bulls, you know when they when they are going to the fight arena, they test them, they prick them with a lance, and 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 the way that they know how brave these uh, bulls are, it's how many times they still charge forward, despite the sting of the blade. And I try to tell these stories to kind of like relate to my kids, but um, but it, it's a little bit more difficult uh, uh, simply because of the circumstances surrounding us. You know, um, obviously, you know, they are, we are as a family more established than my mom and dad were when yeah. we arrived in the United States. So it's very difficult for me to paint a picture of them like, hey man, you know, you're going to be living in an attic. You know, imagine that you're in an attic. Imagine that you're sleeping in a, in a, in a you know the whole entire family sleeping on a on a mattress on an attic with no heat in the middle of the winter like I can't put that in their minds because it's not a reality for them I don't even think they're able to imagine it maybe slightly you know so eventually what happens is you know maybe your the difficulties that we had growing up and adapting to the new culture and going through some difficult times helped me um, you know motivate me where maybe my kids that are now you know you know, well comfortable, you know, how do you teach them to fight for their dreams and to have that hunger? That's a lot harder for us, uh, uh, Matt, because see, eventually what happens is our ceiling becomes our kid's floor. so how do you how do you keep on motivating them? i mean that that's the ultimate for a father is actually to to be able to to make sure that you are a stepping stone so that they keep keep they can keep going and keep on projecting forward. but it's a lot easier said than done. Trust me, I'm 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 working on it on a daily basis, and I, I want to make sure I'm, I do a good job as a father.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's the stuff right there. Um, our ceiling becomes their floor. You know, Chris Bryant just had his son, and and congratulations to Chris Bryant. But he's he told us he told this radio station uh, a few weeks ago at spring training that he didn't want his son to play baseball because his dad drove him and taught him, and all Chris had to do to beat what his dad had done was make the big leagues, because his dad didn't, and Chris made the big leagues. But what would Chris Bryant's son have to do? Be better than Rookie of the Year and MVP and World Series champion? So he doesn't want to put that on his son. Isn't that interesting? His ceiling has become, you know, he doesn't want that ceiling to be his child's floor. I get it.
4: Yeah, 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 and it depends. You know, I think when we talk about the, our our ceiling becoming our kids' floor, I mean it more in the sense of, you know, now they have a very solid foundation from them to spring from. Yeah. Um, not necessarily to accomplish exactly what we have. You know, sometimes I'll hear my son say, "Dad, um, you know, I want to be like you," and I, and obviously that's a, it's a huge compliment. I'm like, son. While you say that, this is what I, you know, you know, he says that, and then, you know, I go in a corner and I say, God, please help me be the man my son sees me as. Yeah. So, you know, because at the end of the day, I know that the way that our kids see us is, is through, through this filter, and they look at us as if we were heroes, but they don't necessarily know our weaknesses. They don't necessarily know uh, um, our limits, you know, um, and I try to remind them it's like no you know dad dad went through some very difficult times. I made a very 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 many poor choices so otherwise I wouldn't be able to teach you unless I was there you know I'm failing, falling and then getting back up. so um, I want you to be just the best version of you. I want you to be better than the guy that you were yesterday I tell my sons and my daughter mm-hmm. right So it's parenting I gotta say that that's got to be the biggest challenge. Oh, my goodness. I've ever faced.
0: It's Carlos Pena. Wonderful stuff with him. And uh, the way that he uh, has approached this this pandemic uh, actually made its way into my house and into some of my relationships and friendships about how if we don't come out of this thing with better relationships as husbands, as fathers. uh, In in, in our marriages and our other relationships, then we're not doing it right. We are not doing it right. It is a missed opportunity. So, and I can tell you, I believe with a nod of the head, some wifely confirmation that we are coming out of this a little better than we did coming into it. So thanks, Carlos, for that thought. What are the best father and son moments in the history of baseball? I, I think, that, Sean, the way you started the show with the back-to-back homers from the Griffies has got to be up there. I mean, that's, it's ridiculous that that even happened, that they homered back-to-back. Yeah, that has to be the pinnacle. I mean, Dallas Braden throwing a perfect game on Mother's Day is probably the pinnacle as well, having his grandmother there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that idea of just having two, a father and son, back-to-back, hitting home runs, is Out- just, it's a storybook. Yeah, it, it, it's outrageous. Um, Cal Ripken Sr. managed two of his kids on the same team. Imagine that Cal junior and Billy both with the Orioles in 1987 and Cal Ripken senior is the manager. You're a baseball dad. Two of your kids get to the bigs and you actually get to manage them. That's crazy. And then I'll give you one more from a home run derby. And that is Robinson Cano winning the home run derby in 2011. Jose, the dad who pitched briefly in the bigs, I think for the Astros but very briefly Jose Cano was in the bigs but he was a batting practice pitcher for his son forever pitching to him and his kid wins the home run home run derby with him pitching to him and at the end Robinson Cano runs up and jumps into his father's arms in celebration come on come on that doesn't get you you're not living 670. The score is where you are. Let's talk about dads and baseball and plenty more with our friend and colleague Lawrence Holmes next. And Ozzie Guillen Jr. going to join us at about 1120 right here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours